Hi, I'm Joel McMahon, pastor at San Philip United Methodist Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our latest podcast. Today we're going to be looking at Matthew 7, 1 through 6. But before we do that, let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Oh Lord, we just thank you for this wonderful day that's been ours. We thank you for the week that uh, stretches before us. We thank you that our past is behind us, our future is ahead of us, but we have right now with you. And we have this moment with you. And we pray that in this moment where we're, we're with each other and also with you, that you would just speak to our hearts what you would have us hear from your word this day. Lord, we pray for those who are ill today, who are listening, and uh, for those that we love that are listening that are ill. We also pray for those that are facing other challenges in their lives, and uh, uh, we just lift them up to you, both our personal burdens and the burdens of others now before you in our hearts. And we pray all these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, in Matthew, the seventh chapter, the first through the sixth verses, we read these words. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this day. Well, we're continuing in our series that we're calling Jesus Unfiltered. And in this series, we're looking at different passages that people take their own preconceptions and their own filters, if you uh, will, uh, with them. And they hear what Jesus says through what other people and experiences and things like that have laid upon them. And so what we're attempting to do is just listen to pure Jesus, just his words, and understand what he is saying and not what other people have said about what he has said. Now, if Christians were to pick their favorite verse in the Bible, it would probably be John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. But if the world were to pick its favorite verse, it would probably be this verse that we read right here in Matthew 7, 1. Do not judge. Now, not many people know their Bibles, but it seems everyone knows the verse, do not judge. They may not know where it's found, but they still know it and quote it frequently. The problem is they don't know 
of the context that this is given in. And it's not only one of the most frequently quoted verses today, but it is also one of the most misunderstood. Now here's a picture, well anyway, uh, they know the verse, but they don't know its context. The pro the pro well, the other problem is that when people tell you do not judge, they're usually judging you when they say it. Some people want to apply do not judge even to God. And when I hear people use this verse over and over again out of context, I'm tempted to respond with a paraphrase of Inigo Montoya from the movie The Princess Bride. You keep using that verse. I don't think it means what you think it means. Now, I ran across a parable in poem recently that I think really sets the stage as we try to really understand what Jesus meant when he said, do not judge. A woman was waiting at an airport one night with several long hours before her flight. She hunted for a book in the airport shop, bought a bag of cookies, and found a place to drop. She was engrossed in her book, but happened to see that the man beside her, as bold as could be, grabbed a cookie or two from the bag between, which she tried to ignore to avoid a scene. She read, munched cookies, and watched the clock as the gutsy cookie thief diminished her stock. She was getting more irritated as the minutes ticked by, thinking, if I wasn't so nice, I'd blacken his eye. With each cookie she took, he took one too. When only one was left, she wondered what he'd do. With a smile on his face and a nervous laugh, he took the last cookie and broke it in half. He offered her half as he ate the other. She snatched it from him and thought, oh brother, this guy has some nerve and he's also rude. Why, he didn't even show any gratitude. She had never known when she had been so galled and sighed with relief when her flight was called. She gathered her belongings and headed for the gate, refusing to look back at the thieving ingrate. She boarded the plane and sank in her seat, then sought her book, which was almost complete. As she reached in her baggage, she gasped with surprise. There was her bag of cookies in front of her eyes. If mine are here, she moaned with despair. Then the others were his, and he tried to share. Too late to apologize, she realized with grief that she was the rude one, the ingrate, the thief. Well, the source of this poem is unknown, but it makes a very good point. Now, I believe that many people today, if they were asked to give one word uh, that describes Christians, they would pick the word judgmental. For many Christians are judgmental, let's face it. Now, I think all of us would rather these people suggest words like loving, kind, understanding, 
loyal, wise, and things like that. But nevertheless, judgmental is the judgment often offered up. Now, think about this scenario and tell me which one of these three Christians is being judgmental. A gay couple moves into the new apartment and discovers that they are neighbors with three Christian individuals. The first Christian neighbor, after talking with the new couple, regularly avoids eye contact and rushes out of the complex. The second Christian neighbor, while talking with the couple, angrily denounces their lifestyle and draws a relational line in the sand. The third Christian neighbor, while talking to the couple, winds up being pressed about his beliefs, and he states clearly that he believes homosexual acts are contrary to God's desires and design. So who is being judgmental here? Many today, including some Christians, would say that all three of these individuals are being judgmental. Furthermore, it wouldn't at all be surprising uh, if uh, someone were to confront these three professing believers and say, shame on you. Doesn't, J doesn't Jesus say not to judge others? And well, yes, Jesus did say that. And that's why we're looking at this passage today, this morning. Uh, and we need to keep three issues in mind as we look at this passage. Uh, the thing is, we need to look at these passages, or this at this passage, in the light of three factors, judgment, pride, and humility. And I think that these are the things that Jesus is lifting out as he talks about do not judge, as he unpacks what he means when he says, do not judge, uh, that you be not judged. The verse goes on to say, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And so notice that in uh, verses 1 and 2, Jesus is talking here about judgments that people make not in the light of judgment. That is, those doing the judging are not judging in light of the fact that they themselves are going to be judged. That's the very reality that Jesus is trying to uh, get us to, to bear in mind. He makes it clear here that the kind of judgment he has in mind will most definitely lead to judgment by God. Now, in verse 2, Jesus gets more specific about our uh, present judgments not made in the light of God's coming judgment. First, he says, with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. This means that whatever violations uh, you prosecute and verdicts you render, God will do the very same in your case inasmuch as those things are also true of you. Remember what Jesus said about forgiveness? He said, if you won't forgive, don't expect to be forgiven. And he's showing that same principle applies when it comes to judgment. He's saying, if you don't want to extend grace and mercy and compassion to those that you encounter, do not expect to receive grace 
and mercy and compassion when you stand before Jesus at the final judgment. He says, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now this means, to the extent and with the severity that you find fault with others, fault will be found with you by God. So now then let's move on to the next factor that's involved here, and that is pride. In verses 3 and 4 we read, Why do you see, see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? Jesus asked this to get us, who are passing judgment, to think about his or her own heart. He wants us, his followers, to consider what drives such behavior. And what it is, is prideful fault-finding. The person who is prideful has no problem cataloging and condemning the sins of others, but that's only part of the equation. Such cataloging and condemning is done with no healthy recognition of one's own failures. But again, that's only a part of the equation. There's another part. Not only is there no recognition of one's own sins, but the prideful person is also misguided in terms of assessing the extent of sin. Jesus, with his carpentry background chooses a very effective illustration when he says, O prideful judge, how can you make a big deal of and focus your judgment on the sawdust speck in someone else's eye when you're walking around with a two-by-four in your own? Or how can you foolishly believe that you're in any position to set someone straight when you yourself are way, way, way off the path. In everyday terms, what Jesus is describing here is like when a person is judged for being late to a lunch, but the person doing the judging, or the judging is a person who is known by all to be tremendously flaky and inconsiderate. Or like when a wife is judged for spending too much on a purchase by a husband with a gambling addiction, or a friend who is judged for sharing a sensitive piece of personal information by another friend who is uh, and has been a chronic gossip. It is pride. It is arrogance that blinds us to the extent of our own faults and failures. And it is pride that gives us a false sense of self-importance when we condemn others for specific sins. Sadly, there are Christians, and so-called Christians, who believe that being concerned about righteousness means first being concerned with the righteousness or lack thereof in other people. I read something the other day that is so true and applies so well right here. The Holy Ghost doesn't just make you dance and speak in tongues. He also makes you shut up apologize, and examine yourself. But Christ calls us to a very different path. And uh, let's look at number three now. 
humility. This is what we hear in verse 5. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. It's interesting that the word hypocrite used in chapter 6 in reference to many of the Jewish leaders is used here in reference to a judgmental disciple. How is such a person a hypocrite? Because they say one thing and yet they do something else. They hold up and elevate a standard that they don't live by. They want to point the finger at your sin, but are unwilling to do the same in regard to their own sin. There's a saying in recovery uh, counseling that I think of every time I consider this. When you're pointing one finger at someone else, remember there are three pointing back at you. But notice that the word of Jesus in Matthew 7, 5, his word to the hypocrites is not simply a condemnation. It's more a correction. And how does he correct these prideful, judgmental hypocrites? He calls them to humility and repentance. You hypocrite, first, take the log out of your own eye. Take the, the sin out of your own life. Jesus calls them to acknowledge the beam, that is, their own sin. But removing that log, that plank, is also, uh, that also means confessing the, that sin to God and remorsefully rejecting the sin. And all this requires humility. But if our prideful, judgmental hypocrite is truly humbled, do you know what happens next? This is where it gets really interesting. Jesus says, first, Take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now you understand what Jesus is saying here, don't you? When he told his disciples, judge not, the issue was not recognizing or even pointing out the speck of sawdust in the brother or sister's eye. The issue was the heart behind that judgment. It is a very different thing when an humble brother or sister points out your sin. The prideful person wants to put you down. The humble person wants to help you out. The prideful person simply wants to condemn. The humble person wants to lift you up, wants to elevate you. And they can help. As Jesus describes here, the person who is deeply aware of his or her own faults and failures is the kind of person who can see clearly to take the speck out of that brother or sister's eye. Now think for a minute about what all this means. In light of the context, it's clear that Jesus in verse 1 is not condemning all forms of judgment. No, he is condemning the condemning heart. He is condemning the kind of heart the pride-filled heart that produces this judgmental posture that spews out such judgmental poison. The one, who sets him, the one who sets himself or herself up as a judge over others 
with this kind of heart is not humbled by the reality that he or she is accountable to God. And they're not humbled by the reality that they are beam-blinded, that they are beam-blinded sinners. They pretend to be in a position that they are not in, to have a knowledge they do not have, and to hand out punishments they have no right pronouncing. This is precisely why Paul later warns the Corinthians the way that he does. He says, therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. You see, only God is in such a position. Only God has such knowledge. Only God has the right to hand out punishments. James, the half-brother of Jesus, warns us about this same mindset. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He was able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor. Did you hear how James refers to the law of God here? So what did the law say about this issue? If you'd like to know, turn with me over to Leviticus, the 19th chapter. We're going to be looking at the 15th through the 18th verses. And this is what we read here. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great but with righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, did you notice the golden rule invoked here in connection with judging in the Old Testament? It ties right back in with judging and with also forgiving and forgiveness. The same measure uh, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Notice there are two kinds of judging described in this passage. First, there is judging in righteousness, the kind of judgment that reasons frankly with your neighbor. It is an expression of loving your neighbor as yourself. But this passage also describes how you can judge your neighbor in unrighteousness, how you can have a condemning attitude that tempts you to be a slanderer. It is driven by hate in your heart. This attitude seeks to take vengeance. It tempts us to bear a grudge. Do you see the difference? So when James uh, says, the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law, he is pointing out 
how a prideful, judgmental hypocrite is, in fact, rejecting passages like Leviticus 19 and therefore setting himself up or herself up over God, passing judgment on his judgments. But as James reminds us, in order to humble us, there's only one lawgiver and one judge. Therefore, in light of all this, I think it's safe to say that judgmentalism has to be rejected. But that does not mean every form of judgment is wrong or is forbidden. In fact, if we go back to Matthew 7, we discover that Jesus, in the very next verse, in verse 6, calls us to judge, doesn't he? He declares, do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So what exactly does that mean? How is this related to what came before? Well, I believe Jesus is warning us. Even when we, in humility, after we have confessed our sin and we are right with God and we, uh, can, and we, can, we can relate to this person and see where they are and can see clearly and we desire to help a brother or sister or to help anyone with the speck in their eye. It might not always be wise to do so. Inside and outside the church, there are people who will hear your genuinely holy help and see your pearls of loving correction, and they will, I can tell you, despise you. Christ is calling us to make a judgment call about the kind of person who might receive and the kind of person who would despise your care and concern. That discernment doesn't mean a person will always be a resentful, prideful, abusive dog or pig. The setting and season can change. Clear opposition may eventually become potential opportunity. While we might not always be able to help someone with a speck, we can and should always pray. And if we were to continue in Matthew's gospel, we would hear Jesus say in Matthew 18, the 15th verse, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. That is fault-finding, but not prideful fault-finding. It is humble, loving, speck or log removal assistance, something all of us need. Yes, there is a judgment involved, but it isn't judgmentalism. The heart here is the same heart we heard about in verse 5, uh, 24, in Matthew 5, 24. The heart that leaves the altar in order to reconcile with a brother. It's the same heart we hear about in Matthew 6, 12, the heart that prays, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. So just wrapping all this up, here's what Jesus meant when he said, judge not. He meant condemn not. He meant do not set yourself up as a judge over someone else. He meant do not judge with a blind eye to your own sin and your own judgment. He meant 
do not be a prideful fault finder. He did not mean do not judge between good and evil. He did not mean do not practice discernment. He did not mean do not talk to others about their sin. All of these are the fruit of an humble, cautious, and caring heart. Now listen how Paul describes this same kind of heart. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Are Christians judgmental? Like everyone else, they can be. But like that last apartment neighbor, and only like that last apartment neighbor, it isn't judgmental to speak the truth in love. Unrighteous judgment demonizes and distances the one in sin. But righteous judgment is careful and caring. It is humble and helpful, and it recognizes God as God and how we both, uh, th both of us, both the one that uh, is, is in a fault and the one who sees the fault, we both stand before that same God. Do you struggle with being judgmental? Are you more likely to, to, to condemn the sins of others than to confess your own? Do you find more joy in putting down than lifting up? Does justice feel safer than mercy? Does putting someone in their place feel better to you than drawing them into your place? If so, then you need a new heart, one humbled before God and filled with his love. And strangely, the only judge that can do that is the judge of all people, and he can give us a heart for all people. Only when we recognize what we truly deserve from God the judge and then see that that judgment placed on Jesus instead of us, only then can we find that humble heart. The one who said, judge not, condemn not, was the same one who was judged and condemned. And he was judged and he was condemned wrongly by judgmental people. And he was judged and he was condemned for prideful, judgmental hypocrites like us. Only Jesus Christ has the power to forgive and remove the speck and log of sin forever. Only he can transform us by his grace alone, through faith alone. Some of us need to repent of the judgmentalism that we've talked about this morning. If we're honest, we recognize ways in which we have contributed to the stereotype that most Christians are uh, considered judgmental. But we also know that part of the world's response to Christians and the Word of God 
comes from the fact that sinners love their sin. Let's not forget that. In many cases, even when we speak the truth in love, with humility, people are going to take offense, and therefore someone will label us judgmental. We must be sure that we're not offensive. We must strive for a clear conscience in that regard, but we should not be surprised when the message through us is offensive. The message of a holy God to those who prefer darkness, the message of a righteous king to rebels like us. The bad news of sin should always come with a double dose of the good news of God's grace, but even still, we know that many will hate God's judgment. And yet, wonderfully, others will acknowledge their sin in light of God's word and grace. And as we talked about, that grace is our only hope, isn't it? Only he can bring that change to our hearts, hearts so often prone to judgmentalism. So let me ask you, will you trust him this morning for that change if you know that you need it in your heart? Let's pray about that right now. Let's pray. Oh Lord, some of us, as we've heard your words this day, we recognize that we have been a part of the problem in this world in so many ways. In a world where so many people are taking offense and <clears throat> leveling just judgment after judgment against others while paying no attention to our own faults. Forgive us, O oh God, and give us hearts that are open to look on others as being in the same boat as we are and us as being in the same boat with them, all of us as sinners in the need of God's grace, and help us to see our sin so we can struggle through it, be victors over it, and then when we see someone in that other uh, same pit of sin, be able to offer them a hand up, a way out. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, and I hope that you'll be back with us again next week if you're not uh, able to come and be with us in person there at St. Philip United Methodist Church. Until next week, goodbye and God bless.